All right, okay, so yo, in the house today, we got Adam Strumis. He is a partner at KBD Insurance. And to be honest, this is totally off the cuff. And this morning, I thought it was just going to be a normal um, content shoot day, a KBD content. And Shamar came up and he goes, dude, no, no. And Joey came up and he goes, dude, no, no, no. This is going on the freemium. So you're on the freemium podcast today. I'm the insurance guest for... No, no, we're not. We're, I don't, I don't want to talk about insurance too much today. But... Neither do I. Today, yeah. Today we got we got Adam Strumis. So Adam Strumis, for those of you that don't know, and I'm going to let you give an introduction to yourself right after. For those of you that don't know, and I think most of you do know, um, Adam's been working at KBD for, or working with KBD, I should say, for eight years, I believe. Eight, eight and a half years. It'll be nine in November. Eight years. Adam is definitely um, an integral part to the KBD team. Um, everything, all the success that we've experienced here at KBD. And, you know, we've had ups, we've had downs. We've had everything left, right, up, down, you name it. We've seen it, done it. But I want to talk about today. So Shamar just handed me a list of questions that were generated from ChatGPT. He makes it look like, you know, he, oh, look, boss, I, I did all these work for you, but he gives me a ChatGPT. <laughs> You're on the chopping block, Shem. Watch out. I'm kidding. But uh, really cool. Shamar was actually just showing me how to prompt ChatGPT. This is a whole other discussion but the questions that he handed me were i found very topical just kind of scratching the surface of things and i want to talk today about yourself but i also want to talk today about real shit that we've gone through and that we go through running a, deep dive. a business yeah we're going to talk about the pros the cons and the point of today is you know a lot of businesses that exists i would say more often than not there is a partner or some form of partnership or you know even if it's not 50 50 there are people that you have to listen to there are people that you have to respect people that you have to negotiate with these are from coming from within the company and i want to talk about all that today i want to talk about some real shit trials and tribulations of running a business running a business yeah not necessarily an insurance brokerage yeah i love it let's go yeah so tell us uh, tell us about yourself man well, um, I'm a damage insurance broker. I do car, home, business insurance. Uh, I protect your things from unforeseen circumstances and financial loss you can have. I help grow the car and home insurance side of our business. We, When I started, we were like four or five brokers total. We're now, I can't even keep track of what number we're at. We're what? I spoke to Hala the other day. I think she said we're at 34, not including our telemarketing team, 34 employees. Uh, everyone, so that's that's me. That's Gary Ontario. I think we're thirty-four. Yeah, I get, I got in at uh, KBD at the ground floor of things. Uh, knew you prior to yeah. working here. Saw a different side of you when I started working here. Said, "Holy cow, Curtis Killen is smart." So uh, <laughs> let me let me let me attach myself at the hip here and see how high we can get this elevator to go. And I think we're only just really starting to scratch the surface. We're hitting. Uh, a whole new level of growth as we start to grow the commercial department. We got Ontario going. I'm in my process right now of getting my Ontario licensing to be able to do the same thing. Um, but uh, I want to know about you. I'm well, an ex-hockey player, ex-bartender, yeah, yeah, ex-waiter. your personal background. Um, grew up in Pierrefonds, went to John Rennie High School, sported, played hockey for Der Reeve, played for the Lions. I was fortunate enough to get a bursary to go to St. Andrews College just north of uh, Toronto. Played hockey at Concordia. How did that happen, by the way? At St. Andrews? Yeah, like how, how did you go to 
St. Andrews. So I ended up getting recruited um, through a previous teammate from my first year with the, with the Lac St. Louis Lions. I'll be honest, uh, at 15, I was in my head, I kind of was leaning towards I wanted to play in the queue, yeah. play major junior. My, yeah. uh, my younger brother ended up doing that. Uh, I had to make a decision because it was different rules back then based yeah. on uh, how much school they'll pay for post uh, your major junior career. And I had heard from our top scorer the year before who went to St. Andrews. He reached out to me saying, hey, would you be interested in visiting the school? Then the director of admissions came to Montreal, visited me, interviewed me in the, the conference room at John Rennie High School, went and visited the campus. It was like walking on Hogwarts. And I immediately was like, I'm in love. This is where I want to go. I applied to one other school. Didn't even really take them that seriously. My heart was set on going to school in North Toronto. Both my parents are from uh, the North York area, which is uh, a suburb of Toronto. Yeah, then I played junior in Brockville. Lived in Brock, Vegas for a year for the Brockville Braves. That must have been fun. It was. I was playing with a bunch of buddies. There was like five of us from the West Island. And you were what, 19? 19 turning 20. Yeah. And then that's, that's fun. Yeah. We had I a, mean, just go there and play hockey. We had a good time. You're a poor hockey player. And yeah. Yeah. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't get paid. Uh, we got soggy subs on the bus and uh, shitty pizza after games. Uh, I can't even, to this day, I can't eat pizza pizza. I just won't. It just makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Yeah, I played at Concordia, wanted to get my degree in history, doing a minor in economics. Yeah. In my head, I was going to be a teacher. Some of my favorite teachers were history teachers. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, I got a text message from you. Yeah. Saying, would you want to come work in insurance? And my exact answer while I was lying there, probably hung over on a Thursday morning or something, like, the fuck is Curtis Killen talking about? Insurance? Mm. And then... Yeah, came, started here, and within six months, I said, wait a second, Kurt, we can grow this. Let me start getting into managing. You help grow the business. And uh, Bob's your uncle. That's, I think, the Coles knows version of me. Of how you got started. Mm -hmm. What made you... What's the question I want to ask? Like, what made you take it seriously? take insurance seriously no the fact like when i text you because i still remember i remember very vividly so i asked you oh to, i know how to answer it. I, I didn't i didn't take I, you seriously until you brought me to the office after our lunch we had our lunch at calzone i, I remember that yeah i texted you we went to calzone's we and had then we lunch. had the lunch i said hey i'm serious you can come work i said all the calls are inbound you like that part there and you brought me by the old office the, uh, the og office yeah i walked in i was there for 15 minutes and in those 15 minutes the phone did not stop ringing. Yeah. And you said every single one of those calls is someone looking to buy insurance. And having been a waiter, bartender at the time, I was like, wait a second, that's like people coming into a restaurant saying they want to buy something right away. So people are calling me saying, I want to buy car insurance. I want to buy home insurance. I don't have to cold call people and bother people and do all that stuff. That's what sold me saying, wait a second, that salary you're dropping at me, the commission, that's more than I'll ever make in hockey playing minor pro in Europe or wherever. Let's take a swing at this. And within six months, I knew I found my so calling. So when you, when, you, when you first came in, though, you were saying, okay, I'll, I'll try this. Let's see where this goes. But the first week that you were there, or sorry, the first day that you were there, you weren't thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be my career. Not even close. No I way. was intending to go back, finish my degree, maybe change degrees. Soon, do you just something wanted like to come check it out, see what it was about. Yeah, and, and uh, within six months, I knew it was like, no, no, this is something I see myself doing long-term, for sure. Um, again, saw a different side of you that I didn't see previously. And I said, he's smart. This company's growing. 
all these calls are coming in. I just saw it as a, as a stars kind of aligning or like the parting of the Red Sea where it's like, hey, no, this is your path and go. And I did. Yeah, a lot, we a, did. A lot of people think, I think I'm a, because I am a jokester outside of work. Yeah, I didn't know. I knew and you then, were working at the pub. You were, you were, I was your busboy. We had a little, yeah. little deal going on where I focused on your tables and you gave me a better tip out. And that's then, actually, that, yeah, that, that, that's actually a good story for, we would always do. So if you're, for those of you that don't know, if, if you've never worked in hospitality as a waiter or a bartender, more so of a waiter, the quicker you can turn over your tables. If you're working, for example, an eight hour shift, the quicker you can turn over your tables, the more tip you're going to make. And so Adam was, I was a waiter at Yule Old Orchard in Point Claire. Adam was, um, yeah, for those of you that don't know. So Adam, what he would do is, I'll start over. Adam would, the quicker you can turn over your tables, the more money you can make as a waiter. That's pretty simple math. You're going to serve more people. So I would always go up to Adam and I'd say, hey, Adam, I want to make some cash today. Well, I was always like that. Because if I'm at work, I'm at work. I want to make some money, especially as a waiter. Hey, help me turn over my tables quicker. Take the orders if you see I'm not there. Clean up the plates faster. Clean up the tables faster. I'm going to be able to make more money and I'll give you a bigger cut. And I think you trusted me the first time anyways, but then at the end of the night, I probably tipped you out, what, double, two and a half times of what the average Whatever waiter was? Too, and I said, okay, that's the guy I focus on. Yeah. <laughs> Simple as that. The more the more the waiters make more uh, money, the more the busboy makes more money. It's as simple as that. And I was just saying, well, what was I, 21 at the time, 20? Yeah. Like I would be just cooking it around the whole restaurant. Yeah. Terrace, inside the kitchen, back through the inside of the restaurant, back out the side door, back to the terrace, just constantly looking uh, to clean tables. And also at the same time, if I saw someone had this much beer left, it was your table. Hey guys, another round. And I go over table, uh, table 16, another round for all four. And then you'd punch it in and then I'd sometimes bring it out. No, we had a good little team tandem uh, going there. And uh, that's why I asked you to, if you're interested to come work at KBD. You were the one pushing to make me a waiter. I remember you asked yeah. me, like, you're fluently bilingual, you have personality. Why are you not a waiter? Why are you just a busboy? Yeah. And the, the manager at the time didn't want me to be a, a waiter. He promoted somebody else instead for whatever reason. And then finally, when you left to go work in, no, I actually just started being a waiter when you were about to leave for the insurance industry. Yes. And then when you left, I took over your shift behind the bar. Small world. It is a small world. It is. Okay. So. When you first started over at KBD, you know what? Let's, it doesn't really matter the journey coming up because it was pretty fast. It was a small company. You started off at the company. Mm -hmm. You were in sales. I moved you into management quite quickly. What was, remember when we got into that big fight and what, what I did wasn't, wasn't right either. And we got into that big fight and it was almost, was it, it was like a promotion, then a demotion, then a promotion again. Something, something like that. It was, yeah. And you, you had a right to be pissed, by the way. Yeah. You had you, a right to be pissed. You also, I, you also <laughs> do we tell the real story as to what uh, we argued about? Do you even remember? Yeah, that? why not? Go for it. Yeah, no, I was, I was in the process of just getting my feet wet and coaching, actually coaching Sean. Yeah. And you were listening in on one of my calls without me knowing you were listening in on one of my calls. Oh, I remember this. And the person wanted a call back like within, I don't know, 20 minutes. In my opinion, it was a crappy lead that I didn't feel the need was there to really follow up with it. Whereas I said, no, Sean is a bigger priority to me. So I went over to help Sean out. You came over and said, when are you going to call that client back? Ah, blah, blah, blah. 
call them when I call them. And you were listening to the call, knew what was said. I had no idea. And then you just, yeah. Well, what, what to add on to that? So, cause you had kind of, you blew smoke up my ass in the answer. Absolutely. It was not a direct 100%. answer. And then I went back and you said it so nonchalantly and your attitude was like, yeah, 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 like I'll get to it when I get to it. And to add on to that, I went back into the office with was a new that girl. lady who used to work there. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I'm like, she's talking to me, talking to me, talking to me. And I couldn't concentrate. And I was fuming at the way you had just told me to fuck off without saying those words. And I blew a casket. Yeah. And then I went into your office and I just. I didn't even have an office. You, We went into an abandoned one. I was pissed. Oh, yeah. To, I was to pissed. To this day, Sean goes, I remember exactly what was said. How it but was said. I was pissed about. I wasn't. I was pissed at the disrespect. I can understand where That's you're coming from. That's what I was pissed that. at. And we've talked about this. Yeah. yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from. Where I was coming from was now my priority is learning how to coach and manage. I still wanna... shouldn't have blown smoke on my ass. You're right. I should have said. No, no, no. Had you said it, well, anyway, I think you know this. Had you said, yes, I agree, but this, I go, okay, fine. Like, finish up and please call me back. <laughs> but it was like a... I remember. No, no, it all, it all worked out. You, I was in the process of going to that uh, that coaching class offered by, uh, I think I could say his name, Francois Savaria. Yep. Amazing professional coach, not just for insurance uh, coaching, but as far as management and leadership goes. Yep. That guy is an encyclopedia. He's bang on for those that are looking for someone to uh, learn and grow as a manager. Yeah. Look up Francois Severia is what I would say. What do you think are some of the, the biggest challenges that we've faced as a company right now? Trial and error, I think, is the biggest challenges because you think something's going to work. You really push hard for it. And then it doesn't work. And then there's something that we weren't sure would work, so we didn't really pursue it, only to come back and revisit it later. Can you give us an example? Telemarketing. We're back using telemarketing team. I got, I'm going to tell you all about telemarketing, but go, go on. Yeah, we started with telemarketing. We had it going, and then the costs were just a little bit ridiculous. Didn't justify where compared to our other sources of revenue coming in, cost to commission ratio, all that stuff. And then we've come back to do it again. Yeah. Um, thinking the answer was to hire 150 brokers to give a better experience. Well, that doesn't work either all the time because now you're dealing with people twiddling their thumbs. So it's not cost efficient. Biggest challenges is learning to shave on our own face. The expression of learning to shave on somebody else's face where you're learning and making mistakes at somebody else's own expense. We kind of learned at our own expense of our own mistakes. When I first started in management, specifically my first few years, I said all the time, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna try, if this works, great. If it doesn't, well, I'm gonna learn from it. So that would be our biggest challenge is the- uh, The trial and error? Trial and error and just see what works, see what sticks, see what doesn't. What else have we done though? Cause I wanna add some, you know, I wanna get some juicy stuff for the audience of the people, for all 15 people listening to this on Spotify, but for all, you know, the thousands of people that are gonna get the, listen to the well, to get the <laughs> Best example, we overhired, we overhired. No, okay, but what, okay. So telemarketing, that's one thing, but there's trial and errors. So it's, I, I wanna get, look, we've had a lot of ups, but w there's there's been a lot of downs. And there's there's been times where you and I have come in last year, was this last year, two years now already? What are you referring like to? Like two years ago when we were coming in, man, dude, I was so fucking stressed. 
every yeah, day. Twenty twenty one was a and you were stressed too. Awful year, dude. I was freaking out. Yeah. I was fucking stressed. Same. That summer was probably the worst summer of my life. Yeah, it was brutal. We okay, were, let's let's fuck it. Let's well, that's, get into that's, this. That's exactly. And I want to. I know and the reason why I want to get into this is because it's like everyone goes, "Oh my god, it's so glamorous. Look at all these things. This is amazing." KBD. Oh, well, well. And there's a lot of other companies that are doing well too. But there's behind this. Do you ever feel like this? Some days there's um, I tell myself wow, I can't believe I get paid to do this. It's so easy. I didn't really have to do anything today. I can't believe there's... But other days, holy shit. The stress... Re, I've had this recently. The stress for me recently, I've I, I, it's on par with what I had um, Heavy two years crown, ago. Yeah, is what I always say. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's talk about that two years ago. So let, let's give the... Let's preface this. I'll let you talk about the, the scenario that we had because I want people to understand... Hey, yo, we go through difficult times too. Yeah, I'll let you take absolutely. it. Go the, for my, it. My, my best example would be right before the pandemic, you gave me clear cut. Here's your mandate. Here's what you need to do. Hire, 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 hire. I was running 15 to 20 interviews a week for like four months. Yep. I think I had sent out probably close to 70 job offers to which probably close to 45, 50 said yes out of that. How many actually? And you were full time. You were that's a headhunter. I was a full blown recruiter yeah. on a small scale, not a for about a year. Yeah, about yeah. a year, year and a bit. Yeah. Then I worked. So out of all those people, I sent job offers to came down to probably fifty saying yes. Of the fifty saying yes, after learning what the process is to become an insurance professional, with the AMF, the schooling, the getting the exams, the passing the exams, that dropped down to probably I don't know, twenty five. From there, dropped down to. Sorry, but to put it into perspective, without let's let's skip the details. But to put it into perspective, I think we're roughly. It's fair to say we're probably twenty employees, and we went from twenty to forty-five in like a six-month span. Yeah, or did we? I think we got up to fifty. We were close to fifty. We were forty-eight at one point. Jeez. So we were forty-eight employees. But I'll let you. So for the audience, we'll, we'll just to make it a little bit more simple. Pre-COVID. And the reason why I said this to Adam, hey, hire, 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 let's let's go with this, was because uh, we were getting a lot of inbound calls for sales. We were the the market was hot, the economy was hot. People had money, money was cheap. People were buying cars, people were buying new houses. This was you know people are just transacting. There was we a lot felt of transactions like we were leaving through. money on the table by yes. not having enough people to answer our inbound calls. Yes, and that was after what three years back to back to back of 30 percent plus <laughs> yeah. organic yeah. growth yeah so yeah we were saying wait a second like that's what we need to do yes and the reason why we did this why we wanted to hire so many people was we looked back hindsight's always 2020 we told ourselves and this is a fact had we hired example an extra 10 people two years ago we would be at x growth as opposed to where we're at today so this is the precursor to the shit show that ensued. So we hired all of these people and Adam, you did an excellent job hiring them. You worked your ass off. I really, really busted yeah. ass. I was doing, I'll let you continue. I was doing interviews at 8 p.m. at 8 yeah. a.m. I was following up. I was doing interviews up from my house at 9.15 because the person didn't finish work till eight by the time they got yeah. home, had dinner. It was negotiating contracts, uh, all that fun stuff all that for the pandemic to hit. And that first year of the pandemic, we thought we were more or less COVID proof, if you will. We still had what, 26, 27% growth the, in 2020? Over 30. 
over 30 still. Yeah. 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 And then March, 2021 hits and our calls. Yeah. Because of the microchip shortage, people weren't buying cars. There weren't cars available. Cost of used cars was up 30%. Home sales were up through the roof. Nobody was trying to move because rent was going crazy as well. Next thing you know, now all these brokers that we've hired that we're paying, sitting there twiddling their thumbs. And that's where from an efficiency standpoint, from a cost standpoint, it wasn't making sense. After all that work, all that effort to try and grow the team to where we thought we needed the team to be to continue our rampant growth that we had, crash and burn. We had to let people go. We had to but we did crack it. the whip. We had people working from home remotely. Now it's a whole other challenge in itself. But let's let's stay on this. Let's stay on this. The 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 stress. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll say for me at least, the stress for me came from the fact that we were we had too many people, and so there's a ratio. Everything's based off math. So there's always this ratio, and in insurance, it's called a salary to commission ratio so commission revenue obviously insurance brokers and every industry has their own specific ratio that they need to use but it basically is a metric to help keep track of the overhead um, with regards to employee remuneration so for insurance for example if we're making a million dollars in commission revenue per year i'm not saying that's our number but let's just take a nice easy round number if we're making a million dollars per year in commission revenue for to be running efficiently, you should technically be paying in salaries between $500,000 and $550,000 per year. This includes group benefits. This includes the payroll tax. This includes CNESST, or I forget what it's called in Ontario, but this includes everything. So you want that ratio to be between 50 and 55%. If you're growing really fast, you can even go up to 60, 65%. But what was our ratio? I remember one month looking at it, we were at like 80. Yeah. And I looked at Adam and I brought Sean in and I'm like, yo, dude, like, okay, this, we have to let some people go. Yeah. Either people pick up their socks or they pick up yes. their stuff. Yes. And leave. Um, it was a situation where, we, sorry. In our defense though, and I will say this, we're leaving a lot on the table right here. I don't know if we should be, I don't know if we should be talking about all this shit. Well, that's why Maybe we could get some juicy stuff here, though. It's the unfiltered in, podcast. In our defense, though, okay, what we did because we hired mostly salespeople. Mm -hmm. And what do salespeople do? They should be selling. And in order to sell, you sell by any means necessary. So if there's no inbound calls coming in, well, too fucking bad. Get off your ass. Go call your network and go call your friends. So there was that part of it, too. I would say that because we didn't let go of anyone who we wanted to let go of no not that we wanted to let anybody go but excuse it was... me sorry we, we didn't let go of anyone that's like that was like oh man i really don't want to let go of this person like it's just it's a mathematical equation i i can't keep you because of x the people that we let go it was more or less like yo pull up your socks you're being really lazy right now if we don't get this productivity out of you by this date you can't work here or people have been given multiple, multiple, multiple warnings. Yes. Of your getting paid a big salary. Yeah. You said you were going to bring in X amount of business. Yeah. You're not. Yeah, you're not. You're not. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> and yeah. the business you are yeah. bringing in 
<laughs> is wrong. <laughs> I don't trust it. Um, yeah. And there was another, yeah, I won't get into specific yeah. details, but. No, no, no names. No, no, no we don't have to yet. do anything like that. But yeah. it was, um, that was, that was, that was the hardest year professionally, yeah. probably 2021. But the profession, it, ju it just came by because like when you're coming down to, and it must suck. And I honestly, I empathize with a lot of the tech companies, a lot of companies going through this right now. And we've been very, very, very fortunate. We have a nice lean operation right now. We don't have to, obviously I wouldn't say this publicly anyways, but I, I can honestly say we're not in a position where we have to lay anyone off. But I, I saw this coming and right after we kind of, because I think we only had to fire like two or three people. The rest kind of, we let them as they were leaving, we just weren't replacing them. Yep. And we specifically on purpose cranked up the heat and by cranked up the heat saying hey we need more productivity out of you and sometimes when you really crank up the heat not everyone can can nope. take it and not everyone likes to take it so uh, i think we did a good job there as well but nonetheless it's still stressful because the last thing you want to do layoffs suck and it can really damage the energy and the culture in an office and when we were going through this dark period because you and I were feeling the brunt of it. And you know what? There, there's other employees too that obviously you could tell they were just stressed and the shit. chi was off. Yeah. The chi was off. What the our hell culture is, is our biggest strength by yeah. far. It, yeah. I hope it continues to be and hope it always is. Yeah. And at a certain point it was like, people felt like they were walking on eggshells. It was kind of quiet in the office. Yeah. If they were on the phone with a client, they weren't like up and around yeah. shooting the shit. Yeah. Uh, water cooler conversations were at a minimum. It was yeah. pick up the fucking phone yeah. and sell some insurance. Yeah. And if you don't pick up the phone, then go on your Facebook, go through your whole list of yeah. contacts. Hey, when's your car insurance renew? Hey, like, sorry, that's sales at the end of yeah. the day. Um, it's a contact sport. The more people you're in contact with, the better you're going to do. And we had some people that weren't overly competitive and didn't play sports and didn't get but that's not to say hold on hold on that's not to say people that don't play sports can't be good You're right contributors but what i was trying either. to get at is we cranked up the heat and some people prefer air conditioning <laughs> to put it into basic terms that's what we had it was pick up yourself that was really corny but it was good. it was super corny and <laughs> i know it was corny i'm corny but it's like figure it out or or gtfo or, oh, I'm getting uh, another challenge. Uh, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. The offers coming in from our competitors yeah. coming in as well. That thinned the herd of all my new hires as well. People came in. We had a guy come in, worked for us three months, got his probation license, stayed another six weeks, and then left to one of our biggest competitors yeah. for almost double the salary. How do you compete with that? Yeah. 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 I think we've talked enough about insurance. What else you got for me today, Curdy? No, we're going to talk about the, the business. Oh, okay. What would you say have been our biggest wins so far? And how have they helped shape our business? That's a question from chat, sponsored by ChatGPT. TM? Sorry, it's not sponsored by ChatGPT. ChatGPT gave me that question, though. <laughs> our biggest wins were keeping our um, title as a brokerage by landing those contracts with our other two insurers. Uh -huh. um, I think I can name them right. Getting uh, yeah, you could say the companies that we deal with. Yeah, yeah for the current home insurance side, we deal with Intact, Economical, and Vinic. Yep. Um, I would say that's a massive win by keeping that not becoming just an extension of one of the companies and yep. being just an agent. Mm -hmm. um, that was a huge win. I'm seeing right now a big win that we got going on is Ontario. Yeah, we got. I'm super. I, I don't know about you, man. I'm really, really, really pumped about Ontario. I'm just really. 
I can't wait to just write the exam and, yeah. and come in and, and I have a network. I have family. I have friends that live in Ontario. I think we have a lot of ups. I think there's a lot of upside potential when it comes to Ontario, just because of the fact that, you know, we already have the website that can be, um, the website's very, well, the website's the website's very scale. We have a lot of things in our company that are very scalable. So we have the website that can bring in traffic that can bring in leads from anywhere we wanted to bring in leads. It's quite simple to, you know, search engine optimization, pay-per-clicks, a couple of advertisements here and there. It takes a bit of time. I've learned a lot about that, but we have that. Our CRM, that's completely very scalable. Our phone system, completely scalable. We have, there's all these things you can cut costs. You can use like, you don't need. So to, in other words, if you're starting up like a new company, a lot of times you have to get a new website, you have to get a new phone system, you have to get a new CRM system, you have to get new this, new that. There's all these different things, these startup costs you need to spend. Whereas and they're big costs. They're big, yes. And especially when you're starting up a business, it's very capital intensive, it costs a lot of money. And this is why a lot of times companies, they have to give up equity because banks aren't gonna give you a loan. So basically either a venture capital, well, excuse me, venture capital firm comes in, um, in our industry, insurance companies will finance you. So there's all that kind of stuff. But once you kind of get to a certain size, I'm starting to learn it gets quite a bit easier to make money because you can share a lot of the costs and those startup costs aren't there anymore. It's all very scalable. So when we're going into Ontario, I mean, we don't even need to hire a receptionist. It's literally like there's no extra startup costs. It's just, okay, let's go. It's just it's an expansion. It's fantastic. I love it. I fucking, I can't wait. It's a new mountain to climb. I'm excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited. Another huge win that we've had, man, is, is, and is a testimony to you, um, without pumping your own tires, not that you need it. Um, our brand awareness and all the stuff that we did with the social media, we're the first damage insurance firm that I can see to get on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn consistently. When did we start that? 2017, 2018? We've been doing it for a while. Yeah. We've been doing it for years hundreds of thousands of dollars into it but like our brand yeah and the brand awareness behind it we put a lot of money into our brand yeah but yeah. this is why we do things like this and it's it's like you and i and we both agreed so if we go back let's say a lot i think it was last year you know we so we were at the forefront of it when on Facebook and LinkedIn and all these other platforms, when you posted a photo, all it had to be was just one regular photo and the reach was crazy. The reach your was your mom like would share it, 5,000 people. Share it. I mean, this is only like four or five years ago. And I remember saying, Adam, I go, okay, this isn't gonna last forever. We're not gonna get a 5,000 reach on a photo on Facebook for very long. It doesn't exist And anymore. today, so if you're, if you're a business and you're gonna go on Facebook, if you post a photo and you're not paying for it, you're not putting advertising dollars behind it, the reach you're gonna get, and by reach, I mean, it's a metric that Facebook uses, how many people see your picture. I don't know exactly how they calculate it, but it's basically, if your reach is 50, like 50 people scrolled past your photo, more or less. That's my understanding of it as well, uh, anyways. And um, it, our content was getting stale. We kept doing the same thing, and that's why we're pivoting, not pivoting, we have pivoted to video content. And the thing with, this is why I think in the long run, we're going to win because video content is very expensive and it's very difficult to figure out what works. And we still haven't figured out what works, but there was this guy that said this the other day and Shamar um, listened to him as well. 
when it comes to like short form video or any video for that matter on YouTube, on Reels, on TikTok, he said, you're one video away from going viral. Yeah. You're always one video away. And there's all these other influencers and, and business influencers. There's a lot there's a lot of shitty influencers that are on the internet that are full of crap and they are not telling you the truth. But and they had one video. But there's those guys there, but there are other people too that just they're legit business people. They're just trying to expand their brand, whatever they're trying to sell a service or a product online. And a lot of them, it's not uncommon to hear, dude. I had to do 800 videos before I got over 5,000 views. I had to do this. I had to do that. Logan Paul, who's a superstar. Would you say Logan, Shem, would you say Logan Paul's superstar? I'd say he's a superstar now. He's like an A-list. Let's agree. call him a superstar. Yeah. So Logan Paul's he's a, a superstar. He's definitely a celebrity. He said, I forget what it was, but he's like, dude, I had 4,000 subscribers on my YouTube for like five years. And then one day popped, he broke through. So the main point I'm just trying to get to consistency. And this is one of the things right now. It's been so discouraging trying to get Natalie actually did a good job pumping me up. Trying to get um, guests is by far the most challenging part about doing a podcast by far. Mm -hmm. And what's even more disappointing is when you get guests and they flake or they it does happen. It's about 20% of the, you'd be surprised people that I've had three people now night before or morning of, Hey man, uh, I can't make it anymore. It throws off your whole day, dude. It's especially for you. Cause not, I know that's what you come in on the Friday saying, this is what I'm doing. I got a podcast. At well, not only that we have our, our whole week revolves around this. It's like a content we're getting better at kind of adapting to that. So when we have these curveballs. And uh, we had a big conversation about that. Like, hey, let's stop getting so angry about this. You know, people are shit. Sometimes people are assholes and they don't they don't care about anyone but themselves. So I take it as a, I let it bother me so much because I take it as a slap in the face. Because it's like, dude, it's one thing to cancel. Let's say the podcast is on Friday and it's on Monday. Hey, man, something popped. Okay, you know what? That's He gave me 48 hours notice. Well, more. It's like four days you're yeah. telling me. Okay, I get it. The night before. Or morning of. Even, morning of. Like, worse. fuck off, man. Like, <laughs> Fuck out of here. You're not getting invited again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck off. It's, it's, yeah. I wish I could say I'm, 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 anyways, I'll leave it at that. But we're getting better at basically, there's no point in complaining about it because it's going to happen again. And 100%. Natalie said the same thing. She's like, hey, we just have to accept the fact that this is going to happen. Let's have backup plans and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that's Roll trying, with the punches. That's, that's and- trying to, what we're, that's what we're trying to do now. Okay. We're going to switch gears a little bit. What do you bring to the table at KBD? Leadership, enthusiasm. If the staff or the people don't already know, I bleed this company. I got a tattoo to my heart. I just do. Before I even became a partner, I called myself an intrapreneur as an employee who treated like my own business. That's... That's what I bring to the I company. can attest like I can attest to that. You do treat it like it's your own business. Well, it technically is. It is now, but for <laughs> but the, I can attest for a while that. it yeah. was it wasn't my business, but I treated it like it was. And I bring that side and I think I'm a half decent salesman. Um I care. I think that's what I bring to the table the most is good or bad. That is so, such so, sometimes it can be a negative to care too much. Bro, that is such an undervalued trait to have that people don't understand 
if you actually care. So as, as like a business owner, if someone really cares about the business, oh my God, like loyalty goes a long fucking way. It does. It goes a long way. It does. And there's a lot, but here, this is very complex issue. I kind of want to talk about this. There are other corporations or small businesses or medium-sized businesses that will prey on employees who treat the business like that, that care a lot, and they will take advantage of that. And the employee will get the short end of the stick. And this has happened time and time and time again. And this is why there's a lot of rhetoric on the internet, basically saying, why the hell would you do that? Just go from business to business to business to business to collect a higher salary each time you go. That's it. Uh, what's what's For the saying For some people, goes? that is a good model, Rinse and repeat. Way. Yeah, rinse and repeat. Who gives a fuck about them? They don't give a fuck about you. And go think about yourself and your family. Depending on the industry, depending on what you do in that industry, what you just described of changing companies every nine to 18 months is absolutely a roadmap to taking care of yourself financially. I'll use the recruiting industry specifically. I got a buddy who started at one place, 18 months later, went to another place, 18 months later, went to another place, 18 months later, went back to the first place that he worked at. And his salary is probably double. 40%. 40% more. It's, it's a roadmap for some people. For other industries, that doesn't work. So why, why didn't you do that? Why didn't I do that? Yeah. Because I saw I was growing something. Um, my background uh, from hockey, being competitive, wanting to win championships, not to toot my own horn. I did win a lot of tournaments, league championships, captained those teams that won. It never even really crossed my mind. I did go on that one like COVID, not COVID, not COVID, covert interview. Um, <laughs> yeah. after you were on vacation and your dad was running the office and <laughs> I got absolutely annihilated <laughs> after having a poor performance. And I said, I'm going to go see what this is all about. But like, I think I even came to you the next day saying, Hey, I got to tell you something. I went on this interview and found out that you could buy insurance online through a company that exists now. Yeah. And at the time they didn't even have a name yet yeah. for the company. Yeah. And when the guy told me I interviewed, I interviewed like shit because he blew my brain with what he told me. And I was just stern, yeah. angry face going like, what the are you talking about? Yeah. He goes, how would your friends describe you? I'm a class clown. I'm a big joker. He goes, I'm not getting that vibe at all. I go, man, you just blew, blew my brain. So why didn't I do it? That's why, because I wanted to win. And I think we were winning. So, but why don't more people do that? And obviously I'm coming from the, I'm coming from the side of an employer and you're coming from the side. I'm trying to tap into your brain. Okay. And there's a part of it that goes, the point I'm just trying to get across is loyalty does pay off. At least in my experience for other people, I try and make it pay off as much as possible. Now there's going to be a bunch of people. If this gets clipped, there's going to be a bunch of people in the comments going, fuck you. No, it doesn't. Loyalty doesn't pay anything. doesn't pay shit. And there's, can I just cut in on that one yeah. statement to those people making those comments telling you right now, what is your time frame on loyalty? If you're looking for something within six months, Oh, I've been loyal for six months, showed up every day. never been late, had good numbers for six months. Sorry. Loyalty and consistency over a long period of time will definitely pay off. 
regardless of the industry. And if it doesn't pay off with that company after you finally do go ask, well, guess what? A competitor will recognize it. Your employer will definitely give you a good recommendation if things go smoothly as you're leaving. But people in the comments, I disagree. You're just impatient and you're being a typical Gen Z, millennial, whatever the heck the term is these days. So why- Instant gratification whores. Sorry for saying that, but that's basically what it is. You're looking for instant, give me a 40% raise. You've been with us for nine months, bud. So yeah, is that? No, there's a lot of thoughts going through my mind right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to like articulate everything. It's because, you know, I, I, I do get frustrated as a business owner. I get frustrated with, and we do have a, that's not to say we don't have a, a good core group. We have a core group of people that have been here for quite a while. I get frustrated at the rhetoric that I hear from other industries and basically people always saying, no, 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 loyalty doesn't pay. And, you know, I'll play devil's advocate to the situation that you've lived. Mm -hmm. So you've been loyal. It's paid off. There are also, I can guarantee you, many instances where people have been loyal and it has not paid off. So I also see their point of view as well. You know what I mean? Okay, and there, there are many instances where people, you know, and, and I guess what I'm trying to get out of you is why did you, because I don't think that you would have stayed this loyal at another company. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. You know what I mean? Am I explaining this clearly? Yeah. I Would I have been as loyal at another company? Hmm. Probably not because we had that personal relationship beforehand. Yeah. Um, and it also would have depended on the company. Like if it was a situation like what I got into where you were taking over, you were what, 27? When I started running things? Yeah, 26. Yeah, I'd say 27. 27, okay, so I, I, was, like, I was coming in I was running the office at 27. I yeah. mean, again, I, I saw an opportunity. I read the board. I saw the play and said, wait a second, 27 years old, starting to take over the business. I'm 25. I'm getting in, being put in charge of the staff. Hell yeah, I'm going to be loyal. Hell yeah, I'm going to try and grow this thing. It was always my dream to be like my own boss type situation. Mm. Run a company or have a company or do something. So the stars just aligned. It just aligned. If I was in a different company with similar scenario, again, young leader who had a personal relationship with getting in at the ground floor as things really starting to take off, would I have been as loyal? Yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't okay. just loyal. I was putting the puck in the net too, to use yeah, yeah, that term. Like, so of there's, course. to go back to what you're saying about people that have been loyal at companies or other in other industries for a long time and it didn't work out. Yeah. Well, yeah, so you were loyal, but were you a, were you an all-star? Were you a first line employee or were you just tagging along and, and but I'm, I'm going to play double. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and you know what? There's Loyalty and performance; those are the keys. That's the. That's... I'm going to play devil's advocate. I, I'm sure that there are people who were loyal and they were the punch in, punch out, nine to five. You know, didn't go above and beyond, and they expect to get a bunch of stuff back. I'm not talking about those people. I there's also another pool of people that did give their blood, sweat, and tears mm -hmm. to a company. They were loyal, and they got the shit end of the stick. You know what I mean? Those people exist too. So what do you have to say to the skeptics of this? It's kind of like the same thing if you're dating a, you know, you're dating a girl, you love her, you've been dating her. Oh my God, this is the love of my life. Been for five years and you find out she's been cheating on you for the whole entire five years. It's kind of like 
a little bit the same thing or vice versa. The guy is doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just big disappointment. You're putting all this time, this effort, this energy, you really care. And then they basically just, they screw you over. So what do you have to say to the people that are skeptical about being loyal to their current employer? And I'm not saying this is right or this is wrong. This is just, I think there has to be some type of a gut feeling you have about it, it but yeah. you know, but like you are, you are vulnerable. Like you're going to be vulnerable. That's just, just the reality. And if someone wants to kind of fuck you, you can get fucked. I think my answer is purely just my personal opinion. And it's not even really an opinion. It's more just like a statement. You got to make up your mind. Are you going to, do you want to just be loyal or do you want to go see if the grass is greener on the other side? What happens if you do leave the company you were loyal at where the benefits were good? Everybody knew you by first name. You had a relationship with your boss. You liked your boss, but you just weren't getting that promotion or that raise or whatever. Mm. Next thing you know, you leave. Uh, and then within six months, you're going, shit. <laughs> yeah, I got 10K more, but I'm at the bottom of the totem pole again. My boss doesn't even know my name. My direct boss barely knows who I am, doesn't know that I have two kids and like to go skiing on weekends. And now he's asked me to finish this report on a Sunday evening. Whereas your old job, which was 10K less, maybe not the same position, boss knew who you were, your kid was sick, you could send him a text and he answered and said, okay, no worries, make sure your kid. So roll the dice, you make choices for yourself, um, good or bad live with the decision you make so let's roll the dice that's that's basically it so there is there's risk in anything you do right yeah i mean the naysayer is so much easier to be a naysayer than a yeah. than a i guess the only point i'm just trying to make is you know obviously if you can negotiate something negotiate it this is coming from on the employee side if you can negotiate a higher salary salary or you can negotiate higher um responsibilities you want more responsibility you want to contribute more to the company absolutely try and get it I'm obviously coming from the side of an, of an employer. I value loyalty. I think there's a lot of value in people who are loyal. I want them to move up. This is coming from me because this is how I actually feel. But I can also empathize with them where sometimes people have put in their best foot forward. They have gone above and beyond. They have worked the extra hours and they got the short end of the stick. So I get both sides. And ultimately, like you just said, it is a crab shoot. I think, though, more times, more often than not, it will pay off in the sense that an employee who goes above and beyond and who really tries to help build a company. Overall, employers, generally speaking, are good people, and I think they will take note of that and they will try and either promote you or give you equity, give you a bonus. They will try and compensate you for that extra effort. And that's what a good business owner or a good business leader does. It's not always monetarily, but they will always kind of let that person know, hey, you're doing a really good job. I understand. I notice that you're doing a good job. I notice what you're doing. And a lot of times that's all it takes for people. But it also takes more money. In. <laughs> Sometimes. But the last thing I would say is also be like, be honest with yourself. Yeah. Take a good, hard look in the mirror and say, yeah, yeah, I've been loyal. But like, do I really deserve this? Do I really want this? Am I... Am I contributing that much? Am I that valued? Am I that sick at my job? Am I that untradeable? But people, every, everyone thinks that they're more valuable than they actually are. And I think I told you this stat. I forget who talked about it. 
but it had an example. So there was 150 or 200 people or something at the company. And they had a guy go up to each person and they said, what percentage of the company's success or daily operations do you think you contribute to? You. Okay. So there's a whatever amount of people, let's say 200 people in the company. And so you can say, ah, I don't know, 0.5%, 1%, 5%, you know, CEO, 10%. Okay, cool. And this guy who was doing the poll, the survey, went to multiple companies. Each company that he went to, when you add it up, all the because it, it, it has to add up to 100, right? No matter, even if you're 500 people or 10,000 people, the percentage is going to add up to 100. 100% productivity is this is the productivity of your company, 100%. I'm waiting for the actual number. Every company was between like 275% and like 325%. Everyone thinks they bring more to the table than they actually Everybody do. does. Everybody does. And that's also another reality. And sometimes it sucks to hear it, but you know, it's maybe you suck at your job. Yeah, or or it's just like, listen, you, yeah, you're, you're kind of just like another cog in the wheel. Like it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, that's yeah. kind of society. That's kind of yeah, like yeah. Lord of the Flies. Uh, yeah. It's... Okay, here, we're going to do a fun exercise. Oh, what? Cool. Stop that. I was touching the microphone because <laughs> I know he hates it. I'm getting the microphone. Oh, sorry. Okay. What do you hate about me? Oh. No, be honest. Be honest. We're going to have this exercise. Oh, you're, 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 you, you could be one of the most stubborn sons of bitches in the world. Okay. That, uh, Give me an example. You're catching me off guard here. Hmm. Here, I'll use, uh, I'll use one example that's not like too in-depth or too crazy because I can't think of something off the top of my head. When we were get, getting the fees... The stripe fees. Yeah. I think for about nine months, I was saying we should do this. We should do this. We should charge this. Other broken. The audience isn't going to catch on to what this is. We're talking about personality traits or like specific instances. What's like, what's not good about me when it comes to running the business or working just you and I together? I'll start. Well, you already, I think you know the answer they're going to give to you. (laughs) Well, which one is it? It's not a person, sorry, it's not even a personality trait. Like I can't stand, it's like for you, it drives me fucking insane when you're disorganized. It drives me nuts. And every single like Monday when I come in, it's like the same thing. There's this report that I tell you every Monday, Adam, first thing I come in on Monday, this is the report I check. And it's yet every single week where it's just basically like, okay, Adam, this person, you need to call this person and get it. And it just, it it gives like a stress for me. I know it gives a stress for you, but yeah, that part drives me insane when you're not, you're very good at a lot of things. You're very good at, um, I am not an overly organized person. No, that's not your forte. You have to put in a lot of effort for that. And I get frustrated too, when you're on your technological illiter illiteracy. You're not like a 75-year-old person who can't attach bad. an email. No, you're not that bad. I'm not that bad. Compared to you, and you're always looking for the new quickest application <laughs> shortcut trick in the book. Yeah. Um, AI prompt. You remind me of a hockey coach I once had who if the line went on a four-game goal-scoring streak and then that fifth game they don't score, you change the lineup. Yeah. 
Okay, what sucks about me? I just kind of described it. You're oh, sorry, impatient. I wasn't listening to you. Say it. You're impatient. You're you're you you you. Yeah, you can be stubborn, and it's like, nope, this doesn't work. We're flipping it up upside down, stuff like that. Do you think I'm too impulsive? Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes you can be too impulsive, but where I think you and I had the best success was when you wanted to do something, you'd use me as a soundboard, and we'd talk through it. And sometimes your opinion didn't change. Sometimes I talked you off the ledge. Yep. Best example was it last Friday, two Fridays ago, when the office kind of smelled like uh, paint remover. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling everyone to go home for don't come into work on Friday. This office stinks. It's like it was. Well, I came in. I'll I'll tell the story. I I came into the office and it stinks like epoxy, and it's coming from downstairs, so it's in the ventilation, and I'm coming up, and I was already getting frustrated with the building management because I want to put a damn sign of KBD insurance on the side of the building. It's still not up and it's not only the building management's fault. The fact that you need to get a permit just frustrated with the whole situation. And I came in and I knew I had a podcast the next day with a guest and I want it to be hospitable and I don't want it to stink like epoxy because it's not good for you. And I don't care that I have to smell it. I get pissed at the fact that the whole entire staff has to smell it. All that to say, you told everyone within eight minutes of being here yeah. on the Thursday morning, everybody works from home tomorrow. Yeah. Sure enough, the next day, there wasn't it even a smell. smell at all. No. Uh, I know efficiency wasn't at its highest on Friday. No. Um, that's an example of, you kind of fly off the cuff sometimes. Can you share some of the risks that we took that paid off? Well, I mean, all the social media, putting our faces. Is that a risk though? I think it's a risk because what if it bombed? What if our content wasn't well received? What if people just thought we were a bunch of losers and everyone was coming up to us, making fun of us all the time? That was like a personal risk and at the same time as a business risk. It mm. worked out. Yeah. I get nothing but compliments all the time about what we do on social media. Yeah. But I think that was a big risk. Um, again, for you and I putting our own faces You're out You're putting there. yourself out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Even just doing this podcast, that's a risk. And there's a lot of people that think we got 18 people listening, but it's like, I'm not, it's not a chirp, but it's like, it, how, where are we at? Now? No, it's a, it's like, so there's different ways that, that we can, that people can tune into the podcast. You got Spotify, you got Apple, but just over we get, two weekends ago, how many people came up to you and said, Hey, good job on the podcast. Cause we're in most of the, most of the, the views, the predominant proportion of views comes from the short form video reels, TikTok. YouTube shorts. That's where most of the views comes from, but it's views nonetheless. And there's a really interesting quick article I was reading today about the search engine optimization. And the guy said, so a PR firm, what's a PR firm? It's public a public relations. relations firm. The main job of a PR firm is to get the public to like your brand. That's what a PR firm does more or less. And they have different ways. They can put you in newspapers. They can tell you, okay, you're going to go to this interview. You're going to go do that. That's, that's what they're good at. PR firms. That's actually the next step that KBD I would like to take next year, maybe even the year after to really start getting into like the main PR firms can help you get on news channels. They can help you get on newspapers. They can, they just help you with your overall image. But the guy made a really good point talking about how, short form video does that same thing today. It adds brand credibility, brand trust. 
the same way that a PR firm, but we're doing it directly ourselves, which is why we do all this short form content. And the main goal of the short form content, I've always said this and I repeat it, I repeat myself again. I knew there was a really good chance that not that many people were going to tune into the podcast. I know that, but it gives us ammunition to give short form content. Content is king. Yes. Content is king for video content. So imagine, dude, it's for those of you that, that have tried to put content out. Okay. It's one thing to do a video like once every six months. That's pretty easy. Try having a full-time videographer, a full-time uh, social media. What's your official position there, Shem? social media strategist and then we SMS. have sms yeah and then we have natalie anyways we have we have like a marketing department and it's a couple hundred thousand dollars a year that we have to spend uh, that doesn't even include paid ads so try it's, it's sometimes people go like, oh man your content's this your content's that or it's not good it's not it's, you know you should try doing this try doing that dude do you understand how much work goes into producing content and i tip my hat off to influencers and other businesses that have figured it out and who run their own stuff too. man dude it's not easy it's not easy but there's this guy and he man he, he gave such i forget his name he gives such a good example he's like i i spend eighty thousand dollars a year uh per month excuse me on video production eighty thousand a month he needs to pay his people he has to get like all the content ideas this that the, the other thing eighty thousand dollars a month and he goes but look it took me two years excuse me, three years to get where I'm at now. He pumped out content every day, every day, vlogs, podcasts, pump, 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 pump. Just kept going, kept going, kept going. He's a pretty good following on YouTube now. Good following on Facebook, good following on all the social media platforms. And he goes, so it cost me 80 grand a month, but this is how much reach I get. And he had like 100 million reach the month prior. Insane amount. And he goes, you know how much that would have cost me if I was to go through paid ads with Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff? No idea. He's like, that would basically cost me, I think it was almost $500,000. So it's literally like five, six X. So he's spending 80, but this is where I'm at. Goes, if I want to get this paid, I'd have to spend this. So he goes, yeah, it paid off for me. It all just comes back to basically just like, you have to stay with it. You have to stay consistent. Consistency is very, very, very important. Okay, we're back, baby. Okay, so <clears throat> again, we went on, Adam and I were discussing, I was speaking to Shamar and I said, man, we need to get some good ideas to talk about for the remainder of the podcast. And ChatGPT came through again. What's so, ChatGPT? <laughs> AI, baby. It's taking over the world. Here's a really good one. Then th this one made me think. What is the most important lesson you've learned in business so far? Don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, good one. While it is important to be accountable, don't dwell on shortcomings, minor failures to the point that it's going to make you continue to fail. Mm. Learn. Are you guilty of that? 100%. I'm, I think I'm my hardest critic even harder than you are. Yeah, you're very hard um, on yourself. I hold myself at a certain standard. I always have and I always will. Um, you're very, very, very hard on yourself. I want, I want to be accountable for whether it's good or bad. You're going to know I f how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, when it's bad, I'll tell you, yeah, absolutely, 100% my fault. I will take the brunt. I'll take the smack on the mouth. 
at the same time when i have a win i let you know I, <laughs> yeah i that's for sure some people say it cocky <laughs> but it's like well guys it's with the good comes the bad but no what's yeah. the biggest lesson i've learned don't be so hard on yourself learn to learn from what went wrong be accountable just be better it's really cool how a lot of traits or a lot of tips and tricks in business these are all applicable to life because you could say the same thing about life you're so deep bro <laughs> no but it's you know a lot of people are their toughest critic you know some i'm my toughest critic some people aren't yeah too, maybe you're right wild. no you're right there's you're a right. lot of people that don't hold themselves accountable accountable and just are have victim mentalities and, they and blame, through life and they blame outside factors like my favorite interview question when I was running all those interviews we were talking about before, my favorite interview question of all time, and I, anyone who's in a position to interview someone and is looking to have the right fit for culture and for growth, can you give me an example of a project, a goal, whether it be in your personal life, sports, business, that you failed and why did you fail? And as the interviewer, listening to the interviewee, I would always be trying to hear what was the reason they failed. I would dig, I would ask it different ways. I would come in say, no, that example you gave me, not a great one, give me another example. Would you say this was the most important question you would ask in the interview? Almost always, yeah. Okay. That was the one where I was like, okay, I know what I'm getting in the bed with here. And you were very attentive to their answer. Because I'm trying to see, do they blame themselves or do they blame outside factors? Why mm -hmm. didn't it work out at your current, at your old job? Mm. Oh, my boss was a pain in the ass and my, my coworkers didn't pick up their socks. I'm looking for someone to say, I wasn't ready for the role. I was, didn't have enough experience. I didn't do enough extracurricular learning on my own to succeed in that role. That is an answer that shows accountability, shows understanding of themselves. Whereas the opposite answer of, so-and-so didn't train me properly or the bosses were too hard, expectations were too high. Yeah, that might be the case, but it's never one-sided 150%, even if it's 95% your bo old boss's fault. It never is. There's still 5% there. You gotta be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah. hey, if I had done this differently, maybe things would have worked out, yeah. so. Yeah. And that's not to say sometimes there are toxic work environments 100%. that you don't want to be a part of. You know, there, there's that to say as well. Absolutely. Just a little disclaimer. But even, at, but even at that point, it's, I mean, it's your fault for accepting the job and not leaving earlier. No, <laughs> yeah. but seriously, that's, no, I get it. I get if it. it is that toxic and you're that unhappy um, yeah. at a certain point, you are the master of your own ship and you control your own destiny. And if you chose to stick around longer, uh, again, it's kind of on you to a Kay. certain extent. We're going to dive in. This is a perfect segue. You have definitely helped hire quite a few people that work in our office present day. I'd say close to, for just to pull a number out of my butt, one third of the people, no, probably more, 40% you. Somewhere around 40%. 25% me and, no, it's basically you and me. What am I saying? Oh, Sean and Taylor hired Sean a few Taylor people. Sean and Taylor recently yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have taken over that. Yeah. And they're doing a very, very good job. They are doing a good job, yeah. I still like to get in, get in there every once in a while to hire a few people. I do too. I haven't been, sat in an interview in a long time. So you're going to be a little rusty. But anyways, we're getting off topic. 
let's put it this way, without putting a number on it, we both have quite a bit of influence on the people that work here at KBD. We're <clears throat> quite selective, as we should be, about the type of people we hire at KBD. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Shamar, this one's for you. What would you say is the culture, the pulse at KBD, and why do we place such a big emphasis on making sure that we hire the right people? We don't always get it right, but I think we do a pretty good job. And I think when, you know, I've only been working here for 10 years. And when you look at like a big portion, the vast majority of the company, they've had considering the oldest person, the longest tenure is only 10 years. We have quite a few people. You're here eight years. Sean, I think is seven. Manon's got more tenure than I do. Manon started here three months before I did. I didn't even know that. Our receptionist she's been here has- almost eight years. Wow, I didn't know that. I think, I think she's actually over she, eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. But to get to your point, what's our culture? Yeah, culture. What is our culture? And it's so cheesy and everyone says the same things. But the fact that we went out and really tried to specifically target the 23 to 30 year old demographic. Now we do have people outside that demographic. Yes. 100%. We're definitely more mature than we were oh, five yeah, years we, ago. But yeah. in our heads was, no, I want to grow this thing like... Yeah with people our age that we get along with. So I think that is our culture is the fact that we're all so similar and we've kind of lived similar life experiences, grew up in the same neighborhoods, went mm -hmm. to the same bars, same schools, played same sports, all that stuff has made us gel and we're still gelling. And I think our culture now is as strong as it ever has ever been. People hang out on weekends for fun as coworkers, I don't hear that happen often at different places. It doesn't usually happen. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear about that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the key. It takes, it takes a village to raise a child as they say. Yeah. And like when I was doing all the hiring and doing the managing and the training, I often started like kind of not intentionally, but kind of delegating, Hey, ask, instead of coming to me for that same question, you've asked me three times now, ask your neighbor what to do. And now your neighbor's in a position where he's or she is teaching you what to do, what to click, what the answer should be. So it's become very much like a collaboration of everybody growing at the same time. So that's, I think, where our culture comes from. It's very family-esque, as cheesy as that is. It's, that's us. Yeah, that's how I feel, honestly, when I come in. And you can kind of tell there's good days and there's bad days for the energy. You know, can't always be like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. It's it's imp it's impossible. We're humans. But for the most part, I think it's a, it's a really pleasant place to work. Right, Adam? Right? It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, boss. Right away, boss. Do you want a coffee, boss? No, but it's like. I, I, I no, I think that's a good answer. I mean, there's no secret. It's just like. Who, what's the type of culture that we have that works at our office? People that are, you know, they're, they're goal oriented people that we did hire all people from very similar backgrounds. Um, we did grew up in the West Island. Same values. Well, we have people outside that, that yes. didn't grow up in the West Island as well, but yeah, just no one has a whiny attitude at our office. And if there are, except for, I'm just kidding. No. No, no one whines at our office. I like that. If anything, it, you're the one who whines the most. Me? If anything, it's you. What do I <laughs> whine about? The smell of the epoxy. It's not whining. It pissed me off. 
you say tomato, I say potato. We're speaking the same language here. I guess I do whine a lot. No, you're right. I, that's whining. Is that whining? It's kind of whining, eh? Well, I went downstairs to fucking say, hey, when the, when's this gonna, when's, when is this going to be over? Dude, you can't. The whole replace. Curtis, Jesus, it was uh, disgusting. Curtis, we're beating a dead horse. It's just that was a, it was a funny little tidbit there. I do sometimes, though, have difficulty looking at the glass half full on some days. Yeah. I've also learned to read your body language. I've had to figure that out real fast. Curtis. Oh, he's up there. Hey, uh, you, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you in a good mood today or? Oh, okay. No, leave you alone. Okay. Well, it's just, this is how I feel. It's just sometimes it's like, dude, it's, it, it gets overwhelming just because. Bro, I've been there. I get it. Like it's, it's the heavy weighs the crown. As we always say, we don't know what's going on in your brain all the time. No, but you could the say the same thing. The staff doesn't know what's going on. I'm not asking for extra special sympathy or anything like that. And I always say this at the end of the day, no one fucking cares. And nor is it their problem, nor should they care. I'm running a business. This is how it is. Tough love. And, you know, I'll figure it out. I'm not asking for sympathy. But there are some days when I come in, like right now, we're going through just certain things. And it's it's just long and drawn out. And it just keeps changing. And... It's like, I just want to focus on running my business. And there's all these, there's like three or four, I won't get into detail what they are, but there's like three or four little things right now, not little things, they're actually big things that I don't have control over that are just not getting completed. And I'm trying my best to just focus on the business. And it's- But it's lingering. It's like, it's the, like, it's like the monkey- uh, It's like, oh, I have homework to, you know, when you come yeah. home, it's Friday and you're like, you don't do your homework all weekend and it's Sunday night at 8 p.m. You still haven't done your homework. You're like, crap, I should probably go do my homework. That doesn't sound like anything I experienced growing yeah. up through school. It's literally what it is. And sometimes it does get stressful and it does get difficult to kind of stay on task. But yeah. Um, how would you say that you approach decision-making in our business? We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. I, I often overanalyze. So I would it's agree something, with that. It's something I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I think. I think though that started to interrupt you. I think this is why we make a good balance because you'll overanalyze and I'll underanalyze because I'm like next, 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 next. And that's where I think you and I had the best collaborations yeah. in things was yes. when we'd have powwows, we'd sit down for lunch or go have a apple juice at, at the local watering hole. Yeah. And <laughs> you'd be at one opinion and I'd be, uh, okay, but let me play devil's advocate. What about this? Yeah, you love about to this? play devil's advocate. But that's where I'm saying, like, I sometimes can over. Me off sometimes. I know. But it's, it's, I see what you're saying. You know, I'll like, it, it, that's kind of where our, our yin and yang uh, counterbalance worked. So where do I stand on it? I'm, I'm working on getting uh, quicker at decisions. Will I ever get away from analyzing? No. I, I just don't think I ever will. It's Why do you think you analyze that great much? question. It's the way my brain works. It's just the way it just is. Just the way it is. Yeah. Why don't you analyze things more? It's just it's the way it is. You see it? Okay, I've gone. Whereas well, I, see I, it's I, like, I, I see a conflict. I don't know what the right answer is. And I, like, I, I don't like making the wrong decision. So that's kind of where, again, being accountable for myself and holding myself at a certain standard. Could it's in some set instances, it's a negative others. It's a positive. I'd say it's probably neutral, but it's something I'm working on. So always trying to get better. I think maybe, well, number one, I think I've always kind of been like that. Just next, 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 next. And I definitely underanalyze sometimes, but on the other side of things, I have to make 
Jeez. Well over probably a hundred micro decisions in a day. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't have, I don't have time to, or the patience, (laughs) frankly, to, to take in all the data a lot of times and analyze the data. And I just can't be bothered trying to find out more about the details. I just go, yes. And I'm well aware of the fact that there's going to be a big portion of the decisions that I make on a daily basis. They're going to be wrong, but I like to think I'm over 50, 50 and Hey, if you're over 50, 50 compounded over 30 years, you're going to have a very nice business. And it was something that Warren Buffett said, this was such a great quote. He said, I don't remember the exact time frame, but it goes since the beginning of his career until today, it's a lot less really good decisions than you think. He goes, we've made at Berkshire Hathaway, I believe the number was 15. And he goes, we've made 15 really good business decisions since the beginning of our career to give Berkshire Hathaway the amount of success that we have today. But think about that. He's been working for what, 60 years? I think 60 years. He's Mm -hmm. 90, 88 or something like that. He's... He's old, no doubt. So 15. Bezos said it himself when he was still operating and running yeah. Amazon. I make three decisions a day. Yeah. After that, I'm done. Yeah. No, that's just, it, yeah. at a certain point, too many decisions isn't a good thing either. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I'm. And he's hyper analytical and he never took a meeting before 10 a.m. And he would go till 3 p.m. Now he's, people think he's making it seem like he only works five hours a day. Trust me. He's working a hell of a lot more than five hours. Just because you're not at your desk doesn't mean yes. your brain isn't exactly. going a million miles an hour. You're exactly. not strategizing, thinking this. Next thing you know, you're sending. He's I've taking personally calls. lived it myself. Yes. Sending myself emails at 9:45 yes. p.m. on a Tuesday because I had yes. some idea that I thought might work. Yep. Again, pull out your phone. Yep. Email to myself. Yep. In the subject line, what my thought process was. Yep. Um, I do that all the time. To this day, still do. Yeah. Just. Yeah, you might not be at your desk. You might not be in the office, but that does not mean you're not working. Yep. Same thing with sales. Sorry. If you're not trying to network, what it doesn't matter what you're selling. You're selling a service or a product. We're human beings by nature. If you're out socializing, if something, is, if something is not clicking in the back of your brain when there's an absolute amazing potential business lead and yeah. your brain isn't going there, yeah. you... Take up yoga or something. I don't know. Just you're, you shouldn't be uh, in business. You should always be closing, baby. ABC always be closing. You should always be asking for the business. Yeah, I, I. Or just at least sending yourself a note. Like, this is one thing I just say for all the salespeople that are out there. I don't understand why you don't post more on social media or LinkedIn. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's free money. It's literally free money. Every single time I post on LinkedIn or I post on TikTok or. Do I cringe at myself when I'm posting on LinkedIn? Yes, I do. I cringe. I don't like it. I don't like the sound of my voice. I don't like these things. But every single time I post a video and I've calculated about every third video that I post, I get one new client. So I run the math and I go, huh, okay, if I keep posting like this, okay, I'm going to have this amount of money and it's free money. It's free money. I don't understand why business people or business owners or salespeople do not use these platforms. I don't get it. It's free money, literally. I hope someone hears this and it clicks <laughs> in their brain. And yeah, it's it can be painful. It's cringy for sure. There's no doubt about it. You're gonna get 
put uh, you're going to be put under the microscope by your Dude, for all the people, I'm going to tell you this right now. Family. For all the for all the people that come up to you and come up to me and say, "Oh man, dude, like keep it up." And there are a lot of people, I would say the vast majority of people do come up and they're being genuine. They actually go, "Dude, man, like way to go. Good for you. Like, you know, you said you're going to do it and you're doing it." I promise you though, there's a good 10, 15, 20, 25% of people that don't come up to us or don't come up to me and are I've already heard through the grapevine about people and they're talking shit. I know they are. You know? I know they are. And there was one person in particular and I remember my buddy kind of, it was like through the grapevine and this particular person, he's a loser. And I, and I kind of looked at my friend and I go, oh, that person's talking shit. And I go like, oh, I'm like, go figure. And the second part is I couldn't care less what that person thinks. But I tell myself that. There's another side of it where I do care because people naturally are going to care about what other people think. It's easier said than done to not care about what other people think. I'm pretty good at it, but there are definitely times where I care about what other people think. And, you know, why is it cringy for me to, to post on LinkedIn or on other platforms? Why? Because I care about what other people think. So. But you care about your business more. Exactly. And that's the thought that I As you should bang on. Bang on. That's the thought I keep coming to my head. I go, what is the best thing for the business? The best thing for the business is for me to post this right now because there's a really good chance I'm going to get a new client off this. So I'm going to do it. Years and 15 years. Yeah. Who's going to remember the freemium podcast episode number 18 with Adam Struess on a Tuesday in the rain? No, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's the way you could. You can create your own commercials for fuck's sakes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got another one. Chat GPT. What's the next question? Oh, shit. I lost it. We got it, baby. We're back. Okay. Chat GPT. What's another question that I can ask Adam? What's one thing you wish you knew before we started business? What's one thing I wish I knew before we started in business? What's one thing you wish you knew before you started working in I, insurance? Because this was your first professional job. desk job. What's one thing you wish you knew before this venture? It's a good question. It's a great question. And I'm not <laughs> going to say I, I, I knew everything because my there's nothing that's popping off to the top of my head. I feel like I was, I'm kind of going to answer by not answering. Okay. I feel like I was raised well yeah. and I was taught at a young age that the world is a tough place. Participation medals are a bad thing. Be ready to do whatever it takes to survive. So what's one thing I wish I knew before working in insurance outside the technicalities of insurance? I can actually like say, I felt like I came into things more or less knowing what to expect from a corporate level, even though we, at that point, we were a mom and pop shop. So I answered your question by not answering your question. <laughs> I apologize, but that's where my head went of, what's one thing I wish I knew? Fuck. Um, I'll, I'll answer. Please. One thing I wish I knew was how full of shit a lot of people are. A lot of business people will over inflate 
the numbers that they actually have. And they're not doing it to be malicious or anything like that. But whenever you ask someone, oh, you know, what's, uh, what were your sales last month? Oh, what were your sales last year? Oh, how much did you grow? How much did you do this? How much did you do that? Take everything with a grain of salt. And a lot of times, sometimes people use it as negotiation tactics. Some people use it to pump their own ego. Sometimes people, there's an array of reasons why people exaggerate actual facts. And there's a lot of times to, but that is definitely something that I wish I knew before I went into business, how full of shit people can be. And people who may come across as your friend may not necessarily be your friend. And I'm not hating on that. This is a competition and business to business should be treated as a competition, in my opinion. So I'm not saying they should be your friend, but I'm just saying sometimes... The really conniving ones or the, you know, they might be manipulative or... There's a reason why they have that expression, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. I, I wouldn't say enemies though, but sometimes you'll get the people, they'll warm you up and they'll get... I got work, I won't say by who or when, but I got worked once. I remember getting worked and uh, I was young and they were befriending me. Oh yeah, there's this, there's that, we'll help you out. And woof, he, 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 he didn't like fuck me, but it was, pull the fast one on me. I and, got a feeling I know who that is, but yeah. that's a whole other conversation yeah. outside the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. There's a lot of people that are full of shit. I think while you're giving your answer, I came up with a bit of an answer. Holy cow, big corporations aren't as socially friendly as they put out on the media. And <laughs> That's not what, yeah, yeah, but that, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, okay. Okay. So I could talk about that. Holy cow. No, no, no. I don't want to talk about that. Like virtue signaling and all that shit. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, no, this, that, uh, and then at the end of the day, you everyone knows closed door. Every, every, like, you guys are ruthless. You yeah. guys are wolves. Everyone knows that corporations virtue signal. I mean, it's no secret that corporations virtue signal and virtue signaling. For those that don't know, I think most people know what it means. But it, it's like saying something that you're not. Like, oh, we really care about the environment. You, you don't. People, and there are some corporations that do, but there are a lot of them that don't give a shit. And because it polls well, or because they think people will care that they look like they care about the environment, they're going to care about the environment in quotation marks. Because they get a tax break. Or whatever the reason is. But yes, at the end of the day, people need to keep in mind that corporations are liable. They are at the, I don't want to say they're at the mercy, but they're liable to their shareholders and their number one job is to produce the most amount of profit for their shareholders. That is the job of a corporation that is publicly traded on the stock exchange. So just always keep that in mind when you're seeing these commercials or banner ads and stuff like that. And how much we give back to the community and do this and do that. And it's like, yeah. You, a lot of times yeah, they do. You did, you a lot did. of times they do. You but know, what about do. the... Anyways, we're not going to get into yeah. all the... Yeah. Nitty gritty details. Just, uh, yeah. Of course, th- there's always, it's like follow the money. I always like to say, fo- follow the money. Sucks to say, but it is what it is. Yeah. How long have we been going for, Joey? Uh, let's see, about an hour and a half, but like my story time. Okay, perfect. So here, let's finish with this one, baby. There's one, how do we keep innovating and staying ahead of our competitors? And with the same shit. How do you see the industry evolving, Adam? The insurance industry in Quebec and Ontario 
or let's say, how do you see the insurance industry in Canada evolving? And how are we preparing for those changes? How is KBD preparing for the changes that are coming to the industry? If governments don't put in certain regulations, I can see certain segments of our industry becoming very AI driven, very automatically responding, just computer systems doing the work for us, mm -hmm. unless there is some kind of government It's really funny. intervention. I had, I had this conversation with a guest, I won't say who, and they had to go through compliance and this part was asked to be taken out about automation. And I understand why, but yes, I, I, understand I, why I love too. this. I love this conversation. And I feel like we can have an honest conversation because we're the ones who are going to be automated out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, exactly. So it's like, you know, whereas the insurance companies, they're always a little, they're always a little skeptical to kind of talk about that because they're the ones that could cut us out. But I like having this conversation because as insurance brokers, it's an honest we're, conversation. We're the ones who are at risk of being cut out. Yes. I, 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 but let's dive, let's dive in. I this. feel like, again, if governments don't get involved to protect insurance professionals and the profession itself as a human from a human aspect yeah i could see it becoming extremely automized on the basic car and home insurance however i do feel because of where we live there might be something coming in to protect professionals now does that happen like we say follow the money but i could see I could see it's something a million dollar, billion dollar question. <laughs> I could see something, some kind of a law coming in about protecting the professionals in our industry. The same way the government got involved to protect consumers. For what? To be, ca be called an insurance broker, you have to be able to offer at least three markets. Oh, to protect it, we're talking about insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. still talking. I'm still. I'm on the insurance side of things. I'm saying I could see the government coming in to protect. The professionals that this are This is what I see happening. Kind of like taxi drivers with Uber. Like the government basically, I don't know all the nitty gritty, uh, gritty details. You are way more knowledgeable about current events and all that stuff and payouts and this. and But like taxi drivers got money through the government after Uber basically came in, offered a better service, more efficient, more friendly. The people that had the taxi licenses, they got some money back. Not all of it. Not all of it, but they, they, well, it they were protected. That was an outdated system. They were getting rents to purchase a permit. They were sitting on their laurels. One could argue Uber the insurance came in. is an old they kept, system. They kept trying to shut down Uber. And Uber said, up yours. They had a bunch of money. And they fought. I love that story. Because I, I love when there's just someone to come in and say, you can't do that. Like the old guard or something. And it's just not efficient. And the only reason they're saying you can't do that is because their livelihood is at threat and the only reason their livelihood is at threat is because they've been sitting on their ass not trying to advance their service make their product or service better i love those stories it's like nah man you sat on your laurels for 30 years well i can your see system is outdated a new product came in we're gonna run with this i can see the insurance industry in canada having a similar conversation okay well let me say this who is it gonna benefit by having this protectionism. Protect, protecting the, the professionals or protecting the Protecting consumers? the professionals. Who's it going to benefit? Because basically what you're arguing is this, is that the 
whatever AMF or Ontario, what we don't know because it's it's not it's not here yet. Like AI is starting to really take over, mm -hmm. um, take people's jobs, mm -hmm. insurance brokers' jobs. For you know, you have to change your car. Example, you know, why do you have to speak to a human? Why why can't you speak to um, an AI bot? They'll probably do just as good a job. But what you're saying is, you think there's going to be some form of protectionism on the side of the insurance brokers. So it's going to protectionism in the sense that the regulatory body of whatever province in Canada is going to protect your jobs. They're going to tell the insurance company, hey, you're not allowed to have AI example conduct more than 10% of the business's transactions. Okay. So it's protectionism on the side of the insurance broker. Who does that benefit though? It's a great question. My, my argument to clarify was if this doesn't happen, I yeah. could see the industry becoming extremely automated and AI generated. Who does it protect? Well, it's absolutely is going to be protecting families and all that stuff and farmers. No, but that's what they're going to spin it as. But if they come up with protectionism to not let AI do this, it's going to protect our jobs. Yeah. It's not going to benefit the consumer. No. If AI, if they let AI loose and they really try and, or if they really, if the insurance companies really get good at this, which I don't see why they wouldn't. If I'm a CEO There's of an insurance company. programs out there that are already existing. But I'm, I'm talking, you have AI that's doing a lot of the transactions, car changes. I mean, it can do a lot. We, we're, we just started. We're only scratching the, the surface. If AI was to basically come in and really get going, it's going to benefit the consumer. Why is it going to benefit the consumer? You. And it hurts because to say. The, it, it sucks. It's going to benefit the consumer because the cost of insurance is going to go down. Why is the cost of insurance going to go down? Overhead. The insurance go companies down. are going to be able to cut costs on their overhead. If you have AI that can do this is how this is my theory. They're going to start it off. It's going to be two percent of transactions per year. Then it's going to be five. Then it's going to be ten. Then it's going to be twenty. And it's going to go to 40, 50, 60. I think we're a while away from having a hundred percent of the transactions being conducted by AI. But I mean, someone with a 2007 Honda Civic and they're 19 years old who's never spoken to someone on customer service in their entire life and who's used to looking at their phone and looking for restaurants on Instagram, they don't want to talk to anyone. They get scared. This is where it's going. They don't, they can't, they, yeah, they don't want to talk to anyone. Why would they not go online to make a change for their car? This is just like where I see this going. It's like the car insurance, not car insurance, car industry, car manufacturing industry. Eventually, machines were built that can put the car together better than your top three yeah. mechanics based out of Detroit. And it's just like for, uh, that's interesting because with, with Tesla, so they do have, it's not 100% automated. I think they're at like 70% automated machines build the car, basically some machines building machines. And there was a point when Tesla was struggling with getting the cars out in a fast enough time because they have, you know, they have to produce X amount of cars and X amount of time. Elon Musk actually said we over automated. So maybe that'll happen in insurance as well. Maybe they'll over automate. Who, who the hell knows? We don't know where this is going. But what I can say is AI, if it comes in, what is AI going to do? AI and technology is deflationary. That means it's going to drive the cost down. Driving costs down is good for the consumer. So if you're a consumer, you want AI to come into insurance. That's my opinion. And as soon as one of these insurance companies, I don't know who, it could be Geico in the US, it could be another big insurance company, insurance carrier here in Canada, who knows if, who knows when, 
once AI gets its foot in the door and it starts doing one, whether it's 1%, 0.5% or 2% of the transactions for watch car out. transactions, watch, it's going to rip way higher. And that is when, this is why I'm always trying to basically do other things, other things and expand our reach or expand the services that we offer customer experience and why we're trying to, I don't know, it's definitely not pivot, but we're, we're putting more of an emphasis on commercial insurance growth. I see car insurance already is considered as a commodity. And I think those small one-way insurance policies, small tenant insurance policies, all the small transactional stuff that insurance brokers don't particularly like talking to the clients. The clients don't particularly like talking to the insurance brokers. We're like, why the hell do I have to wait online to change my address? I have to wait on the phone line for half an hour just to change my address. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. And it is. No one. And you know what? The broker feels the same way or the agent on the other end of the phone feels the same way. Damn. Why are you so upset at me? Well, because I'm waiting for half an hour. I'm going to come and play devil's advocate. Yeah. So, yeah. Why would you have to talk to somebody if you're just changing your address? Well, again, insurance is all based on statistics. You go. I, you go I already from know what you're going to say. Yes, I know ahead. you do. Your listeners don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you go living from Shibugamu into downtown Montreal. It's going to cost more. So when, as the consumer, hold on, let me finish. As the consumer, when you get an increase of $25 a month or $100 a month or whatever the heck the increase is, you're going to want to know why. Is AI going to be able to answer that? For sure. Hopefully. I don't know. You know better than I do. I, for, AI can answer. I mean, AI basically conducted this whole entire is it gonna, interview is today it, as far as I'm yes, concerned. Is it, <laughs> it going to be able to explain it to where the consumer is able to understand or is it going to spit out a... Within five years, AI is going to be smarter than us. It's going to be smarter than everyone. Yeah. I, I don't see why it won't. And the, the, Where's Arnold? Terminator. I, I don't see... And what's going to happen is there's going to be one insurance Michael company... There's going to be one insurance company to do this first. And the first insurance company to do it, the other insurance companies are going to go, crap, we have to do this too. Because the other insurance company is going to be able to cut costs more than the other companies. And if they can cut costs a certain amount, it's just a matter of time before they gain market share. If your overhead is 30% less than your competitor, you're going to gain a lot of market share because you're going to pass those savings on to the consumer. And your competitor is going to be like, okay, I got to toe the line. I got to exactly. get in line with you. Exactly. And do the same thing. I don't have a choice. I My need to shareholders are now looking at other people's shareholders because often shareholders hold shares in both and say, well, this one's super profitable. This one's not. They're going to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't have, that's how capitalism works. They're not going to have a choice. And it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I think you're, I actually think you're right. I think there will be some type of legislation that's going to come in. Well, that's the only way I see it happening. AI just from, from, entering that market there's going to be a lot of fear-mongering it's going to be interesting yep. it's coming in our careers by the way i in our i think in, in a decade if not i think way less than that i think way i, less I than think that. i think the legislation will come in it's my gut feeling that legislation will come in to a certain point and then at a certain point it's going to be like no 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 out the window full-blown i just see it's it's like for an, an, this particular person especially that if I, ai is getting that much better and i i think that like how it'll work like what i said earlier i think it'll be kind of like just this pool of really simple transactional home and car insurance that'll be here that'll all be done all like online ai or, or whatever it's all self-serve we'll call it that mm -hmm. self-serve on the internet 
And then brokers will be left for people with like a home, two car, like a more unique situation, I guess you could say. Yeah, I have all this art, I have these watches, I have more. But then what happens? The AI is gonna be self-learning. It, it will, yeah, it'll to, get to that too. Get to yeah. a point where it's able to yeah. explain and look. It's, it will. Again, without the legislation, yeah. what's stopping something potentially happening that way. And don't forget too, insurance companies have a lot of influence and they have a lot of money to influence the policymakers. Hence the, you need to offer three companies to be able to be well, a broker. I'm, we live that. I'm, I'm just saying how, how when corporations are, they have a lot of money and we have a lot of money, typically speaking, you have power. I thought you were raising your hand, Joe. I did too. <laughs> typically speaking, if you have a lot of money, you have power and you have influence. And if you have a lot of money, you can get lobbying groups. And lobbying groups, what do they do? They go to ooh, ooh, ooh. they go to Ottawa or ooh, ooh, ooh. they go to Washington and they influence policymakers. So policymakers, people making the rules. And House of Cards, the show Billions. I love that stuff. We got to, it's it's fictional, but it's probably not that far off from the truth. It'll be interesting to see, man. No one likes to talk about this. They don't. I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about it. I don't it, like talking it's, about it's, it either. It's, it's, no, but it's, it's like, a reality. Yeah. And if, if people are listening, I don't want it to happen. I don't want us to see people get replaced by a robot. I also don't think it's going to be as simple as that in our field, at least. Mm -hmm. Like, what, uh, If AI can do this in insurance, what's AI uh, stop uh, real estate transactions? I'm going to ask ChatGPT right now. Hey, ChatGPT. What jobs are you going to replace in the I'm scared to hear what the answer is. All of them. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna die. Okay, let's see what it says. What kind of dystopian future would you I don't in? replace jobs. Okay. As an AI developed by OpenAI, I don't replace jobs. However, the increasing sophistication of AI and automation technologies could potentially impact a range of jobs. Typically those that involve, it's moving too much, repetitive tasks, predictable workflows, or substantial data analysis. They even answer like a politician. Yeah. <laughs> data, and so here, here's a list of the jobs that they're gonna take, or he they can't take, according to ChatGPT. Data entry, for sure. Number two, customer service. Chatbots and virtual assistants are increasingly being used to handle routine customer inquiries, which could reduce the need for human customer service representatives. That's home and car insurance, man. Like to the T. It's interesting. And you know what? There's no point in, in I'm of the, there's two parties. There's people that are really scared about AI. There's people that are not that scared about AI. I don't know enough about AI. It's here to stay. So it is. I'm I'm of the party that thinks we should yes, we should be careful with it, but we should still be learning how to integrate it with our lives because it's going to be integrated with our lives. It should be embraced. It should also be closely monitored and uh, I agree. I like there's also the so, so like the the socioeconomic and the, the the social impact and just social skills. Imagine like we say the the younger generation below us, people that are 10 years younger have not even close to the same social skills as us. They'd rather no. look up a restaurant on Instagram. What's that next generation going to look like that's used to AI? Dude, 
Are these people going to leave their point. home? That's my point. So, so yeah, embrace why, AI, why, why but we gotta an, be like, hey, what's this? What's the social impact here? But why? The, why wouldn't an insurance company cater to that demographic, to that age category? They are going to. There is going to be an insurance company or a department of an insurance company, or like, why would they not cater to that age category? They don't want to talk to anyone, so have everything online. I, I see that. I, mean? I see that happening in our careers for sure. I see them also holding off on that because the people with the real money our parents age group with the deep pockets the actual real wealth yeah they don't want that yet as they get older and phase off i mean when they die phase off i mean die yeah yeah. <laughs> Clarify. yeah 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 um i see the ai and all that stuff we're talking about really starting to hit its learning curve and, and really starting to hit its growth curve at that point. I think the only thing that's really saving us is the previous generation. As much as I like to bitch and complain about boomers and their yeah. inability to adapt, it's instances like this where I go, okay, thank God that they're not going to because it's what's keeping us in first gear instead of now we're in third gear and now people lose jobs and now every time I go to McDonald's or wherever, I got a robot coming up to me asking me what I want. Premium. This was this actually. I think every. I think for the past six times I've been like, is that episode twenty? Episode twenty one. Episode twenty one. Yeah. Episode twenty one, baby. Yeah. Okay. So Shem. So what are we doing? So I gotta go. Number one. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> Adam Strumis, partner at KBD Insurance. He's definitely helped us get to where we are today. If you liked the episode today. Subscribe, like, share it with a friend. What's the other ones? Leave a comment below. That's the best one. Actually, subscribing is even better. We have how many subscribers now? I think it's uh, 10,000 or 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. I thought it was close to a million. No, I think we're at like 15,000. I'm kidding on YouTube. We don't have 15,000 subscribers. But uh, yeah, if, if you guys like it, share it. And we talked a lot about insurance today. What'd you say? If we can get 10, 10 likes, guys, 10 likes, just give us 10 likes, man. Give us 10 likes. So the algorithm can like us a little bit more. We're getting the views on the shorts. We're not getting as many views as we would, as we would like on the traditional YouTube. Help us get there. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Curdy.